of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is episode 238. We're going to do the question and answer from subscribers and followers. Uh, we did a request a while back. We have a number to get through. Um, anyhow, welcome, Jason. Good morning, Crow. Uh, we'll have to see if we can run this. I haven't had a chance to go through every question, uh, but what I've seen probably will be able to run our one on YouTube. If not, whatever. Right. I think most of these we've covered to at least some extent before and been all right, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, it looks to me like on uh, YT, there is no way to dispute what they do anymore. At least it isn't for me. I looked high and low uh, when they pinged me on the tuning fork one. But anyhow, um, we've got quite a number of questions. And I know Rose compiled them, went through them, made sure stuff wasn't doubled up too badly, and uh, assigned the, the username of the people who submitted them. So let's do this thing. The first question is from Andrew. Where are we at with the double sun, and where are we at with inside information regarding possible hidden land masses? Um, I think we're just about where we were, with the exception um, that when Chris Van Maitre was able to replicate what I did in 2016 with a telescope and a hydrogen alpha solar telescope, we began to get input from people who had been trained in Vedic, Chinese traditions, uh, who confirmed, yes, there's a source sun or a second sun. And of course, after the fact, we started going through the Masonic, what are those called, tracing boards, I guess. Yes. People are familiar with them. It's like line drawings, uh, usually black and white. Some of them are color, most of them are not. Um, and in a number of those, you will see all kinds of stuff done with sunlight. One of the things you'll see is the sun we see, or the sun we're familiar with, being reflected and mirrored through lenses. That's the reflection idea, which is so heavily covered in uh, Eastern traditions, typically with the idea of illusion and the moon reflected in a lake. Uh, that reflection being one-to-one -one with the moon we're looking at with our eyes when we look up in the sky. But there are also a huge number of them where you will see the sun and moon that we're familiar with. There will be clouds above that. I guess, representing the firmament and a hole where source energy or light or the eye of God, if you're looking at how they're laying it down, is coming in and actually the source to the sun we see. You know, what would you add, Jason? It's been a while since I thought about this. Well, since then, lots of people, maybe I shouldn't say lots of people, but there are other people going at it. And there are some folks out there who also said that it's nothing. What were they calling it? Like a reflection inside the scope. So there there are varying opinions on it, but I don't think there's anyone who's done what Chris Van Maitre did, which is use the same kind of equipment and prove it again, or at least film the objects again. Here's what I would say. Uh, when I filmed it in 2016, I did not have nearly the vast amount of view time on the sun or with the equipment that I did on the moon. So I was nervous to say anything, but here's the irony in it all. Everything that I did to try to prove that it couldn't possibly be a reflection within the equipment or a lens flare or anything like that, Chris Van Maitre did the identical things, but he took it steps further. Even going so far as when he put the tube over the scope to ensure that it wasn't a sun you know, reflection, uh, he blacked out the inside, uh, ensuring that nothing could be reflected. So these are, you know, I, I know my equipment. I, I know how to logic out what's possible and what I should be weary of. And he did the same thing. So there's two people that know their equipment pretty well coming to a similar conclusion. But that wasn't really the deal sealer for me because it's always possible. I don't know something. That's why I was afraid to put it out in 2016 because I didn't want to sully all the other work I've done. You know, you do one silly thing in public and then all of a sudden everything you've done before comes into question. But like I talked to Dr. Frank Olina and the first words out of his mouth were, yeah, I was trained. There's there's a source son or a second son um, and he's not the only one. And that's what led me to start looking at the Masonic trace boards. But when Jason and I, we were queuing up to do the cathedrals episode and this is this is a you know this is case in point for the human mind stream what the mind does in our world because we do the cathedral episode roughly two or three weeks before notre dame burns 
So you can see what's going on there. The mind stream is already uh, thinking about the cathedrals. And the main push there is we had gone back to Falconelli. Um, and don't get caught up on whether Falconelli is a real man. You should know that in the old alchemical traditions, the reason they take on the name is, is to lose their persona, who they are. It's not who they are is not important. What's being said and what has been learned is the totality of importance and value. That's why you see people taking on a name that separates them from their birth name or whatever. So people try to say Falconelli's not real. I don't care. The information is real. What we have is written in books. But in the Falconelli, uh, we came across stuff. And I believe, what was the language, Jason? Was it Italian? Yes, it was. So I think, I, I can't remember. Was it French, the original? I don't remember the original language. But the version we got was in, ta- in Italian. And I recognized immediately, wow, there's all this extra information we don't have in English. So we got Giancarlo in. And sure, sure as God made little green apples, um, some of the Falconelli seemed to point to a source son or a second son. So there's something to this, but uh, it's going to take a hell of a lot more people than just myself and Chris Van Maitre seriously opening their minds to the possibility that we don't even have a clue um, doing more to prove this out, I would say. What would you say, Jason? Right. If there's other folks out there, hey, let's see your data. Let's see what you got. It's really important for everyone to corroborate together and all that kind of thing. So that's where we should really be at. Let's let's all be working together. From what I understand, the... Uh, H-Alpha isn't the most expensive scope out there, so maybe that could be something folks could work towards. No, the, the ones Chris and I have are not the best quality, by the way. It's made by, uh, by Mead, which went downhill since it was made in America. But there's one more thing. After Chris Van Maitre replicated what I did and it came into the public eye again, uh, I got endless stills and a few videos sent to me of the sun low on the horizon with seemingly a second sun or a second body there. I mean, they're almost, they're, there's so many of them, you can't deny it. And these are the kinds of things where people took series of images over time. So you can prove it's not lens flare. Just by looking, you can pretty much prove um, there's something to it. And I have said for a long time, under the right conditions, without a hydrogen alpha telescope for the sun, um, I believe you can detect it. And I think that is a big reason why the chemtrailing goes across the ecliptic, which is the path of the sun and the moon and the planet, planets, roughly, so-called planets. But go ahead where you live and look where the sun goes down. And then take for a whole month, count how many times you have a clear shot at a sunset with no smudged out sky. Um, same is true of sunrise. And by the way, when I've said this so many times, when I did my eight to whatever it was, eight to 10,000 mile journey with my nephew, we did not see a single day anywhere in this country. And we went all the way north, all the way to the eastern seaboard, down the eastern seaboard, and all the way back to San Diego on the most southerly route. Every sunrise and sunset we saw was smudged out. And I think that this relates, but that's just an assumption. I can definitely confirm that I've seen many times the path of the sun blocked out here in Louisiana. I think the main point for me is at rise and set, why is there always a chem smudge? Uh, Why is so much effort made to do that? Um, Part of it, I think, relates directly to solar energy and how important the sun is to our health, how important the sun is to our, for lack of better description, developing of our higher mindedness. Um, And we'll get into these things, I think, within the course of these questions. Second question from Andrew. Is it true that you've had your scope out and are keeping the results to a very small circle? It's not true, and I'll be frank about this. Um, I lived a rough, younger part of my life. When I was a roadie, I could lift double my weight or nearly 400 pounds. I ended up getting a a hernia, which I ignored for the first couple of years I was here because I didn't want to go into the butcher shop. I finally didn't have a choice. I went in, and what was done to me was an eight-month recovery, and then the way they did it caused trouble. Um, which makes me nervous about lifting things that are heavy. Uh, So that's been most of the reason why I couldn't set the scope anymore. Uh, It's not that the scope's that heavy. It's only about 75 pounds with everything, but it's unwieldy. There's like this weird little handhold and one handle on the other side, but you can't touch the tube uh, when you're moving it. And uh, my wife weighs 100 pounds when she's soaking wet. 
Um, so basically that's been the main part. You know, when we're in San Diego, I could get around this in San Diego, everything's on a level. Your house is on the level of the outside for most of us here. Everything is stairways. Um, and in some of these older houses, the stairs are a little higher and a little narrower. It's just not easy, um, to do it here. And I don't want to get injured again, but I've been working on ways to get around this, but unfortunately, any kind of minor building, um, which I was actually getting ready to do, you can ask Jason, I actually had designs to get a permanently mounted scope where I am. Uh, but when this beer bug hit, which is when I was actually getting the variance from the town I'm in, believe it or not, building and the cost of lumber and things skyrocketed. What I'm told is everyone stayed home and redid their kitchen and bathroom. Um, and the bid I got back for the simple structure that I wanted was ridiculously out of reach. So basically, I'm waiting for costs to come back down again. There may be some times um, when we do get out to film, but we'll just have to wait and see how that goes. All right. Next up is Glenn. On the morning of June 25th, 2020, a very popular morning radio show in Philadelphia asked their daily morning trivia question. Who hosted the 1998 VMA Awards? Seemingly random, so I looked it up. From the date of the broadcast, September 10th, 1998, to the date of the question, was 22 years, two months, two weeks, and two days, to the day. September 10th, 1998, to June 25th, 2020. I thought the question was completely random and done clearly on purpose. Maybe Beasley Radio Group, the owners of the station, asked the same question all over the country that morning on their sister stations. My question is, why? Why do they echo these seemingly random and pointless things with these time patterns? By the way, the answer is Samuel Jackson. Uh, I don't know if the PS there is a poke in the eye as some comedy or whether there's something to the Samuel Jackson, but as I'm thinking about it, I don't see the obvious connection, but to be fair, we're doing this off the cuff. Uh, isn't Jackson on a 20? So there's more twos there. I don't know what's getting at. I would have to have time to look to, to see what's going on there, whether it was just a joke. Um, this is not random. Uh, if we, we know what this is, first of all, the VMA is their entertainment, right? What does the word mean? It means to go in and hold your mind. What's happening here, um, and maybe echo, I, you describe it as an echo and I get why, but I would put a more direct description on it as a invocation. They're invoking. This is a spell. Look at the day, September 10. We're right there where everything always happens. And as you pretty amazingly worked out, uh, everything was twos, 22, the master builder number, then another two, then another two, the master builder number again. So that's two, four, six, eight, ten, which is perfection uh, in some usages for ten. Uh, it's a spell. They're pulling the human mind stream in, but all the stuff is done to the sky clock, as we've pointed out. So I really would maybe describe this as an invocation directed at the human mind. And who knows why uh, did, did they cast some spell back in the day that required the things they do 10 years later, three years later, who, who knows about all that. But I, I would say this is an invocation. And by the way, maybe it should show up in the forum because I don't really have time to dig in right now, but I'm not getting the Jackson thing, I guess. Well, Samuel Jackson was a virtual unknown until Pulp Fiction. And then all of a sudden he blew up and became the biggest actor ever kind of thing. I don't know what it is he may or may not be involved with, but he fought it out in Hollywood for a very long time with bit roles before he became the icon he's looked at now. Well, um, let's see. Is this the one? Is this the VMA where Madonna did Ray of Light? Because that was very occult. Um, and I think she won a lot of awards. I would have to dig in more. But to me, this is flat out an invocation designed to have an affect, an effect on the human mind, on what goes on in the mind stream. You know, what, what we do with our minds creates this reality. That's the whole reason for the negative news is to put a blanket of negativity and fear over as much of the human mind stream as they can. And this is just versions of that. But of course, it's something more, isn't it? Because now we're, we're getting entertainment in it and people are going to love the people who are encompassed in the VMAs. They're going to worship them. And we'll get to that word in a minute, too. Next is from Tom. What is your opinion, research, on there being other hidden lands that we know nothing about? 
Jason read a transcript on an episode from an insider who mentioned this. That would have been one of the Mr. X episodes. Go ahead if you want to take it first. Well, we don't really have any information as to the possibility of there being other places. I don't see why there wouldn't be. As I've said many times, the corporate world in the world that we know and see every day seems to be blowing through resources like it doesn't matter whatsoever, which has never made any sense to me. They're just just going for it. So I've always wondered, is it because that the higher-ups know that there are plenty of other resources and places to go and that sort of thing? And of course, we just know nothing about it. Well, let's just use a little bit of logical deduction to frame out this, this question. And by the way, when Jason said Mr. X, uh, I think his response was it's not an uncertainty. There absolutely is hidden areas, but we're only going to get so much information safely from a guest like that. Let's think about the continent that we live on. Do we absolute, could we absolutely certainly draw a picture of it? I would suggest you cannot. And I think the map projections prove this. And I think the idea that we've been to space would solve that. If you actually went high enough that you could see a continent, um, there it is. The problem is solved for all time. And don't give me, we had to take a globe and make it flat because when you're looking down from altitude to see a continent, that would be the shape that would be represented regardless of any nonsensical argument you want to make. And that doesn't matter until you get down into the streets and when you're portraying states, it doesn't matter as long as you get the distances right on the roads for the case of making a map. But think about this. Who was it that supposedly discovered everything? Well, first of all, it was sea captains, wasn't it? And who was in control of those sea captains? We are told it was the crown. We are told that one crown fought another, and if you were the navigator, you were one of the most important people going. Uh, Shogun by James Clavell, the idea of the pilot, starts to demonstrate how closely that book that the navigator held was like the highest secrets you could have because that showed passages and things about the world that no one else knew, and the only reason you knew it is because you did it. So do you suppose that that information was just willy-nilly handed out to the public at some point. And we know for a fact that it wasn't. And the fact that we can demonstrate is called Antarctica. Not only is there no real rendering of what that place is, the information we've got on it is all over the damn place, from as much land as the United States and Canada put together, not frozen water uh, all over it, uh, resources beyond belief, and that was from, I think, the 50s uh, up to now, where all you're shown is a place named after a royal person standing next to a chrome globe, and you're being told that's the pole. Uh, meanwhile, some 50, whatever it is, nations guard that place so no one can go in. So the logical deduction is, I don't, I, I don't think it's questionable. There's going to be places that the general population is unaware of. Next is Nate. Crow and Jason, in previous episodes, you've mentioned our rulers draw power from the sun. How can we draw power from the sun to counter all of this nonsense we're experiencing today? Or is that knowledge that is lost to us? Um, it's probably lost to a lot of people, but that's about mindset. And by the way, you draw power from the sun every day. Did you eat anything grown in the world today? Did you eat meat today? Because that's all powered by the sun. And here's the thing about it. Um, and I'll get into sun gazing in a minute. Um, and I will, again, state, don't go out and stare at the sun unless you do what you're doing. You go blind or damage your eyes drastically. Um, there was an idea put in by many religious traditions that the sun was evil. And that if you, here comes the word, worship the sun, then you're just going to hell in a handbasket. Let's take a look at that word to see what's being communicated. Why do, why do we say worship? L logic it out. Sound it out. Worship. What does worship have to do with anything spiritual? You can see what's going on. The idea of worship has, in fact, been used by, as a worship um, because it skews the human perspective. It's a way to control people. Look at all the work we've done on the Vatican. That's all about the worship. Um, and so people all the time say, Crow, are you telling us to worship the sun? No, I'm not telling you to worship anything. I don't think worship's even a word we should use. Um, it's something altogether different. And you're, as a person who has sun gaze, I can tell you I was blown away by the energy you can draw from getting to the point where you can stare straight into the sun and focus. 
and the like the healing that goes on your eyesight feels like it's getting better you feel energized in a way that's not really describable but i'll put the disclaimer on one more time if you go out and stare at the sun um and you don't know what you're doing you're going to burn your eye or you could go blind but the truth is is if you it's like neo you know morpheus why do my eyes hurt because you've never used them before it's that once you Gradually move in at the right time of the day, which is when the sun is very low on the horizon, to cut down on the UV. And you do it a few seconds a day. You add a few seconds on each day till you get up. But there's more to it than that. I'm just outlining why you don't go out and look at the sun. You will get to a point when a lot of people claim they could look at the sun at high noon. Uh, there are people in the world who claimed they had not eaten or drink, drank, drunk any water in some ridiculous amount of time and so science said that's impossible and they put this old indian man who didn't even know how old he was i think if i remember into a clinical setting where they put him in a room and they found that his claims were true um this is real and the sun is so critically important to our world why do you think the stations of the sun and the sky clock are driving all this because that's what makes everything happen here uh, as the Bible tells us, you know, I, I recently heard Dave J put it so succinctly. Um, the, 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 the sky clock is, is for science. And so the sun is a year, the moon is a month, and the stars are for seasons and long eras of time. And we've been taught to not pay attention to this. And some of us have been taught that portions of the sky clock are evil. And it's all poppycock. Look at the word worship. Take it apart. Think about it. What would you add, Jason? This isn't something I've delved into myself, although I find the concept very interesting. And I have also heard about various people being able to draw whatever you want to call it, the things the body needs from the sun. And it's something I would love to explore at some point. Uh, kind of hard to do if the sun's always blocked out, of course, but maybe someday I'll have the time to get there. Me and my wife were building up. We had quite a distance of time built up where we could stare straight into the sun. One day I actually saw the so-called planet Venus or uh, Mercury transiting with my naked eyes. Um, there are times when you're doing it that it looks like it's almost like a tunnel of light. I pointed out that I stared straight into the sun during the 2017 full solar eclipse, and it was more chaos and just negativity is how I would describe it than I'd ever seen in my life. But that was so far from the experience of sun gaze. It was the exact opposite. High, lofty, calming, energizing, healing. Are, are the words I would use to describe it. Uh, our friend David Weiss got up to quite, I think you do it up to like 45 minutes and then you work backwards. I forget how the whole thing goes. But the reason my wife and I stopped is because they began chemtrailing. We couldn't do it. We could not get a set of days in a row where the sun wasn't blocked out at set and rise. That could be part of it. Maybe too many people were catching on. But David Weiss said the same things I did. He felt like his eyesight got better. And now there's a whole other aspect to this that most people forget, the idea of being grounded. There was a time when most people walked around barefoot. When's the last time anyone around here has walked around barefoot? Um, this is what you do when you're sun gazing too, to ground yourself. Um, all these natural ideas which help to bring us in to the perfection and godliness and righteousness of nature, uh, even just the act of wearing shoes separates you from being grounded to it, if you logically think about it. And by the way, there is no doubt in my mind, at least, that there are probably tons of techniques that have been lost to the ages, and the bad guys might have it, and who knows, they might not. I would point out that, yeah, there's a lot of things we lose, but when we're talking about things like this, it's not lost forever. I think a better way to describe it would be temporarily forgotten. Anything to do with human endeavor and the perfection we call nature. What, here, here's an idea. It's, it's encompassed in a word science uses every day. Research. Why aren't you just searching? Why are you researching? Do you follow? From Kevin in New Hampshire. I'm concerned that the internet will be taken down at some point to allow for a reset of some kind. No online content creators like yourself are organizing this type of thing. Why or why not? Alternatives. Well, Kevin, I would say um, that what you're pointing out here is just a symptom of a much larger problem. If we get to a point where things like this were actually possible, uh, we'd be in a tight spot. And what could be done in a situation like that in any meaningful way? 
Uh, I would point out that worrying in advance is putting these ideas into the mindstream. We covered it recently where a news story was put out so that people would start saying, oh, I think we're about to cover it on the Thursday show, actually. The idea that something had been lost, a right had been lost when it hadn't. But all the people started saying on social media and to each other, oh, we're losing this right. Do you see how it works? So first off, uh, I don't accept that this is going to happen. Second off, right now, I don't accept that human beings are going to get slaved out. I'm all about saying we're better than that. When this is all, the dust starts to clear, we're going to start to come out better than we were. And that's what I'm going to contribute to the mind stream. But to me, if something like this did happen in the future, it's just a symptom of a problem so much larger as to be, I, I don't know. I mean, how extreme would it have to get to start to deal with a problem like this? Because the Internet's not the problem. The problem is who did it. Well, I don't know if they're going to take the Internet out. They're spending an awful lot of time and money putting up things like 5G towers to make sure that the Internet, or at least the transmission capability, is better than it ever was. So not saying that it's not possible, but I've been looking at that aspect of it more so. Yeah, I suspect, well, you know, if things continued to go down a kind of fiefdom mentality that everyone thinks is what's taking over, which I don't agree with right now, by the way, uh, I think you'll just, instead of doing something drastic like taking down the internet, wouldn't we just see further controls? Like, look what Google does now. They nail a video on mine about tuning forks, and there's no way to rebut it. Um, basically, it's our way or the highway. Uh, I think that the controls like that would increase. But I think the days of corporation running roughshod all over the world, I think that's about to get challenged. From Carla. So I hear you're still a Mandela denier. Really? Even with all of the proofs out here? Come on now. How can you explain what is happening, considering you remember Dolly with braces and the lion and the lamb? It doesn't all have to resonate with you to be a real phenomenon, but you do have to admit that those two have definitely supernaturally changed and there is no logical explanation for them. Come on over to the Mandela side. We don't bite. <laughs> okay, Carla, um, I would not call myself a Mandela denier. I would call myself uh, logical. And so magical things and supernatural things, they're, they're, I'm not accepting that until it's someone can prove beyond the shadow of a doubt. And I'll give you an example. They run this show to make fun of human beings on one of the major networks called Penn and Teller Fools You or something like that. Record a couple of those. Watch every single magic trick. You know it's an illusion, right? They're telling you flat out. We're going to lie to you to get you to think that this is magic, but we all know it's not. Watch it, freeze frame it, back it up, and then explain how every single trick is done. You can't do it. And you know how I know? Because I'm a pretty smart fella, and I decided that I would do it and that I could figure them all out. Now, while I found 80 to maybe close to 90% of them, uh, I could figure out. But then again, I could freeze frame. I could back up. What I try, I have rules. I watch it once through and say, how did they do it? If I can't figure it out, then I use the tools to, to rewind and back up as if you were researching. And the vast majority of them I can figure out. There still are a, a percentage that in no way, shape, or form can I start to figure out. And that's even after Mr. Penn Gillette talks to the guy in code to communicate to him how the trick was done. I can even listen to that. And I still can't figure out how some of these illusions were done. See the problem here. Now, when I look at things like the lion and the lamb, uh, those are disturbing things for me at first. Because I remember sitting in Sunday school, right there on the wall is the poster of the lion laying down with the lamb. I understand the sky clock. The lion is the sun sign. The lamb is the equinox sign. That is why the lion is laying down with the lamb and the esoteric or occulted information that has to do with the sky clock. But I can think of a number of ways that both Dolly and the Lion and the Lamb could have been implemented. And let's consider this. How did this whole false news thing that's driving our world into closure right now, how does that work? Or for that matter, when we see false events, and if this is going to run an hour one, you're going to have to keep up here because I can't say outright what I'm talking about. But remember before all this started, all of the false events that happened nearly weekly or daily, um, how does that happen? Part of it relies on the fact that people are insulated. In other words, this area or this person in his house alone is a person who's figured it out, but it's on the low side. It's the old 80-20 idea. 
So they do these things geographically. So a very small number of people potentially figure out what's going on. Now, then if that's going to get solved, it's on them to somehow communicate to a significant amount of people. Hey, look, I figured this thing out. But as soon as they do it, they're called the conspiracy theorist. My point here is, is for both Dolly with braces and the lion and the lamb, I can figure out ways this might have been implemented in that way. Truth is, is I just, I haven't had time. And the, some of these things are not easy. But overall, I wouldn't call myself a Mandela denier. I know it's there, uh, but I'm not going magic because Penn and Teller show you magic every week that you can't figure out. The Mandela effect is indeed interesting. And I've considered a lot of it, but I've also figured out a lot of it. And it does kind of bug me that there is a notion that the entire universe is changing in some way, shape, or form. I don't know what it is. I can think of reasons for a lot of the stuff that is pointed out, but not everything, I, I admit. So this is one of those we'll just have to wait and see, because no one has an explanation for any of it. And I'm not just going to wave it off as some Harry Potter magic kind of thing. Well, let's look at the other side of the coin logically, which is part of the reasoning you use to get down the road to look for a logical explanation. It's a trick, basically. And by the way, it's not a secret trick. Everyone knows this is all over the internet. So if someone did implement this, they'd be laughing and getting all the information they need to keep doing it. But if some organization, like I hear CERN a lot, could change the fabric of reality, then game over. Literally, game over. Why, why are we doing any of this? Anything in our reality can be switched. Do you see the logic in this? Um, there would be no reason to fight back. There would be no reason to do anything because the nature of reality would be switched. A bit like having a time machine, which is why we know there are no time machines. If there was a time machine, someone could just keep going through time and changing things until they got what they wanted. There is, as far as I know, no way to combat that unless you could find the time machine and destroy it and prevent anyone in the world from ever building another time machine. Um, the idea of changing the fabric reality is a similar logical process. If someone had the power to change physical reality, what could possibly be done to combat a takeover from such might? And I think that's a big reason why we should look at this and say, how's the magic trick being done? Because nobody has that much might, in my view. From Marty, as the world gets crazier and crazier, I am taking more and more of my perspective and activities back to basics. One way is by spending more time doing backyard astronomy. Yay. From the perspective of making unbiased observations and simply gaining a deeper understanding of the reality in which we live, what do you recommend looking at and thinking about? What are some of the key subtle realizations you made early on in your astronomy hobby? Okay, um, let me take this. First of all, you should look at what you're drawn to. Um, because I think the human interest has to be there for you to scrutinize a thing at that level. Um, and when you're sitting, you know, you're going to realize real quick, it's not easy sitting out looking through a scope. At first, it's fascinating and you're looking at all these things. But when you finally zero in on a thing you want to examine, um, you're going to begin to realize if you throw aside all the things that have been stuffed in your head and you use the human ability God gave you, you're going to say, wait a minute, what I'm experiencing and what I think is going on and what I think I'm seeing here doesn't jive with all these stories I've been told in textbooks. Um, that's the first thing. The question will become, is your mind open enough to be fearful or fearless enough uh, to say, I don't have to take what was written in the textbook. I'm a human being. I can go at this my own way and try to figure out what's going on. But secondarily, you asked, what should you observe? Um, in some ways, I took one of the easiest things to observe, which was the moon. Um, it's just simply easy to do. People can do it with almost any optical device. But for an individual getting started, what are you drawn to? When you look up at the night sky, what aspect of the sky clock is it that sucks you in and makes you want to know more? And when you know that, then you begin to know what to look at. And I'll tell you another thing. Once you start focusing on one thing, it's going to lead to another and another. And by the way, you're going to see things happen along the way that will also lead you in a direction. But Marty, good on you, man. I wish so many more people had the wherewithal and the time uh, to do this. Uh, it's not easy. That's, that's what I can add to, to put in hours and hours. But it is fascinating. Yeah, I've done it a little bit myself. 
I pick interesting objects when I'm out there. I guess I don't really have any rhyme or reason. It's it's more of a question of what's available to see. Now I do use an app on my iPhone called Sky Guide that works really really well, and it tells me what's what in the sky since I don't know it that well at all. For now, that comet is available, so maybe you can try and film the comet. Yeah, that's another thing. I've been out three nights in a row to try to see if I could spot the comet and then get out my Nikon because I can't drag out the scope right now and try to put a long throw on it, which is perfect for a comet because comets are actually better at low magnification, believe it or not. Naked eye and binoculars are usually some of the best views you'll ever get of a comet. Um, you put a you put a high-powered eyepiece on a telescope and it just starts to be a fuzzy, not so interesting. But three days in a row, uh, we've had clear skies except for the north. The north was all fogged in. Oh, we, we should probably tell people. Um, right now, and I think we're about to lose our best views of the comet, if you look northwest, uh, the Big Dipper, most people can recognize it. You know how there's a handle on the Big Dipper and like a little spoon bowl? The spoon bowl right now at around 9 to 9.30 when it's getting dark will be pointed straight down. Um, the very bottom left star, halfway between the ground and that roughly, is where you'll find the comet. The problem is, um, is that the sun has just gone down and every minute that goes by the comet is getting closer to the horizon. But there it is. And if you load up Stellarium or other things, they'll show you how to find it in your area. Plenty of websites for people that want to do it. And even a moderate camera should be able to pull it off. Next question is from Paul. What the heck is wind? I love it, Paul. These are the things, man. We overlook these things because it's just so, you know, it's everywhere. We've seen it our whole life. Who cares what wind is? But these are the questions that lead somewhere. This is all I can tell you. To date. In my lifetime of researching, the best description to, in an attempt to describe things like the tides and the wind was proffered me in a book called Zetetic, Z-E-T-E, Zetetic Astronomy by a man named Parallax. That's a pseudonym, of course, using the alchemical ideas. And what is proffered in there is that the pressure levels or what you might think a barometer does change in the world. And so when the pressure is high in one place, it's low in another. And it's better, a better description proffered there than I can give you because uh, it's been a while since I read it. But I, the moment I read it, I thought, you know what, that's the best explanation I've ever heard. Um, the idea of barometric pressure, maybe that's right, maybe that's wrong. But the idea that pressure in the atmosphere exerting itself downward uh, is what parallax claims creates both the tides and the wind and i'm all about challenging everything that's a great thing to be looking at next question is from beth two quick questions crow what does your mother think about your life work just genuinely curious it's hard to imagine having a family that supports you my mom has always supported me even when i was a jackass and i shouldn't have been supported to be completely honest uh, and I was very fortunate to have that, uh, being an adopted person. Uh, but I always had backup from my parents. And I was damn fortunate because I did stupid things enough when I was young. I could have really had a bad outcome for later years of my life. Uh, my mom's pretty old now, and she doesn't really understand how anything digital works. And when we've talked about it, she always asks me, what is it that you do again? Um, and I try to describe it as if she turned on the radio, but it's radio on the internet. To be fair, I don't think she's wrapped her mind all the way around exactly what it means or how it works um, because she doesn't have anything to do with the digital world, but she backs me 100% in things that I do in this world. Second question, Crow, can you please tell the listeners a little bit about your new dog? Okay. Um, my wife and I had other dogs. My wife always loved Pomeranians. Uh, it's hard to imagine a dog cuter than a Pomeranian. Uh, there are some maybe, but they're very cute and they have big personalities. And here's the downside. They uh, have health problems and they have teeth problems. Our last one died of an enlarged heart and it was so bad we couldn't get his teeth fixed. And Pomeranians, a lot of them have problems. When I realized that we needed to get another dog and my mom wanted to have another dog before she passes from this world. Um, so I started to look around uh, at a dog that was healthy, that a dog that was bright, very smart, 
and uh, a dog that wouldn't I wouldn't have to worry about wolves. We have a thing called koi wolves. They're actually coyotes, but they call them koi wolves. When I first saw them here, I went, holy crap, there's a wolf walking down the street. Because in San Diego, the coyotes are puny and skinny and bedraggled and no threat to anyone. Here, that ain't true. Those things look like damn wolves. And when we had our Pomeranian, I had to worry that an owl wouldn't come swooping in and pick them up or some of the big hawks around here. So I wanted a dog big enough to hold his own. So as I began to look around, I remembered the, the breed Shiba Inu, which is named after the Japanese town that's famous for the breed. Um, and they're, for me, they were just all around perfect fit. I will tell anyone who decides that they might look into getting a Shiba, it is work. These dogs are way too bright for their own good. So when they're puppies and they have their needle teeth, my arms are shredded. By the way, just so you know, there's scars up and down my arms, which are now healing because he's starting to get his big boy teeth. Um, they have so much energy, need so much attention that you're going to get scarred up and they don't mean to do it, but it happens. Um, I haven't talked to a next door neighbor who had a similar experience, but it is a lot of work. Uh, I'm really looking forward to when my little dog is two or three and starts to settle into a more normal dog human relationship. But that's how I arrived at the breed. By the way, Shebas were unknown in this country until I think 50-something when the first GIs coming home from World War II brought the Shebas with them. Uh, fantastic breed. And one other thing which helped me decide, uh, besides the lack of health problems and other things, being big enough to take care of themselves, um, they can do well to extremely cold because Shiba Inu in Japan gets extremely cold and they do okay over 100 degrees. So if I was stand up back in California, the dog would be suited for here or there. Next is from Glenn. I am currently reading Atomic Suicide by Walter and Lau Russell. Crow has stated that nuclear weapons do not exist as described. Does Crow disagree with Russell's statements in the book about the dangers of radioactivity, nuclear power, and nuclear fallout from weapons testing and its impacts on human and animal life? And if so, in what ways? No, this has been one of my big problems. Um, I have resonated so readily immediately as I got into Russell. Um, and you, you, this is, you know, we're talking about a man that his claim is he was in illumination. He was illuminated for 39 days. Uh, we've talked to the guys that keep his work alive now, and they'll tell you that there's never been an edit from the time he wrote it down uh, to the books we see now. But no, I don't accept it. I don't accept any of it. Uh, can radioactive radioactivity be dangerous? Sure. Anything can in high doses. There are other people that follow us um, that went out and got radioactive rocks. You'll see S-Frog in the comments section. Talk to him about what he's learned about supposed radioactive rocks. Um, he'll tell you a whole story that I, I think you would be surprised to hear, um, but this has been a catching point that I can't balance. And so part of me wants to say, well, if this man was in illumination, is he talking about something I simply don't you know, is he talking about some higher ideal that I don't grasp or is it, you know, verbatim what he's writing? And uh, there are radioactive things in our world. Some of them could be dangerous, but nuclear weapons, not buy-in. And I think for my part, I've proved that there is no reason to buy it. And that's the best I can do. I can't balance the ledger here, unfortunately, but I know enough not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. One sticking point does not kill the dinner for me. Perhaps it might be fair to look at the context in which that book was written, which was during the height of the Cold War. And I don't know, obviously, but perhaps the Russells were giving into the propaganda. That's part of my problem. And I get why Glenn is asking this, because I read parts of it too. Um, and it reads exactly as he's asking the question. And it comes off as if these things are real and we can destroy ourselves. But it's, I can't balance the equation. You know, here's a man telling you how light works and, and all these things. Uh, having been in illumination for over a month. And so you're thinking he must know things I don't know, but I'm sorry, not buying atomic weapons. I can demonstrate that everything that's ever been done in this world that has to do with a supposed explosion is a Hollywood special, is not congruent from film to film to film that we can watch, has been encoded with the crossroads and the mercurial ideas and all the things that we have broken down, particularly the crossroads um, and including Marie Curie. 
Marie Curie is, is the foundational story we need to have anything radioactive, and she's a fraud. She had never existed in, as a living person. And by the way, her magical husband, who apparently was there to sweep the floors because he never got recognized and he was supposedly right there with her, um, his death is an encoding of the, the mercury alchemical symbol. Um, it's all nonsense, and it's provable nonsense. And again, we've had uh, people in the forums take those pictures, and I can—I don't know why I can't. Is it Dresden? No, it's not Dresden. There's a picture of in black and white with all the famous scientists, Einstein, Marie Curie, all of them there. And it's been proven that that's a fraud. People have done it right in our forum. And so when you know the foundational things needed for nukes is a fraud, Marie Curie, and go see Hoaxbuster. Might not ever see a better breakdown of someone showing why it's provably fraud. Uh, I don't know how to balance this equation. I really don't. But, like I said, when I get a dinner, I may not like the uh, lima beans at the edge of the plate, but I'm fine with everything else, so I'm still going to take the dinner. I won't throw it all out just because I can't balance the ledger here. But it bothered me in the same way it's bothering you. From Gene. Do you think that the way the medical industry has people refrain from salt is another way that the powers that be are keeping us from being fully charged? If that makes sense. I often use high-quality Celtic sea salt and couldn't imagine my body not getting any salt at all. Well, there's so much to this. We've had a lot of healthy practitioners on that would tell you the importance and the misview of salt. Uh, I don't agree with using what we call table salt. If you look at it under a microscope, it looks like a little cube. It's all angles of sorrow, the processed kind of Morton salt. But as you point out, we have endless salts we can choose from from nature. I read recently, and I saw some people take umbrage with it, but I still think it's an important idea. The old alchemists claim this is what the human body is made up of. Carbon, oxygen, hydrogen, and 12 cell salts. Now, I've been using the cell salts. As I look across the room, I can see I have the bioplasma, which is just all 12 salts together, and the certain salts that I use that I have found benefit me for having been born in the time of the year, and my wife has the one that benefits her for having born in a certain time of the year, and I swear all day long by them. Would it be better to get them out of a plant? Sure it would. Everything from nature is always better, but we have this option. My point here is the salt of the earth is an old saying that tells us the critical importance of salt to the body, and I think I'm with you all day long. If they're making some kind of a public announcement that you shouldn't have salt, uh, the only thing I would say is, yeah, you shouldn't have table salt, but you need every other natural kind of salt. Without it, you'll start to do poorly. And I totally agree. All salts are not equal that you can buy off the shelf. The two I like to use are some form of sea salt, or the pink Himalayan, and uh, I like it for taste, actually. The pink salt has a, a little bit different taste for cooking certain things over the regular sea salt, but those are the two I would use, in my opinion. And I think most chefs and things like that, they will use those salts. They're not just going to grab a thing of Morton's and pff, just dump it all over everything. Yeah, for anyone who's, who's just doing a regular shop, kosher salt and sea salt all day long. Um, good way to go. But uh, these are things that could be misused too. When you see, like, have you ever picked up a label on a food aisle and said, my God, how, much, how can they possibly get that much salt into this food? If I sat at the table and there was no salt in this food and I applied that much, it wouldn't even, you wouldn't even be able to eat it. And so that's the misuse. And again, I would suggest that these processed salt, iodized salt, you can look into that, not very healthy. And back in the day when we were talking about salt, where would you get it? Well, from salt deposits naturally out of the ground or from the sea uh, are two main places that I knew it came regularly. And uh, it was worth its weight in gold. That's how important salt is to us. All right. That's going to do it for hour one. And we've got quite a few questions to go. Yeah, we got a long way to go. This might actually end up being a long episode, Jason, because we really do need to knock this out in one episode. So we'll just go the distance here. I want to thank everybody for participating and go back. Here's here's a fun thing to do. Go back to like the first Q&A we did. I don't even think Jason was with me the first time I did it. I don't remember though. Maybe he was. But look at the questions being asked all the way back then, four or five years ago, and look at what's on people's minds today. And you can see, man, we're, we're in this world that continually progresses and we're moving and the sky clock is rolling over our heads. 
And again, just to close out hour one, I do not accept that we're going into a slaved out world where there is no nothing but some demonic future. I do not accept it. And I will not give into that idea. The only point I would give into that idea is when I'm wearing the leg shackles and the handcuffs and I can't get them off anymore, then I'll change my tune. But until then, I have hope all day long. So there it is, the uh, first hour of the Q&A of 238. And I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded year ahead. The second hour will be at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W, 777radio.com. That is the only real Crow site in the world. All the others are frauds, and if they're frauds, you know they're up to no good. Join us on the other side, man. Cheers.